Hello and welcome to the Gathering's Message of the Week. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that through these messages, God would inspire, challenge, and encourage you. For more information about our church, please visit gatheringtohim.org. That's gathering2him.org. Enjoy and be blessed. All right. I'm excited to be able to share this morning with you guys. I don't always get an opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, it's awesome because we have a problem in our church. You know what the problem is? We have lots of leaders, right? That's the problem. And so uh, we don't always get an opportunity, but I'm thankful for this opportunity, and so I get to share with you guys this morning. Uh, so let's, let's pray before we get into the Word. God, I just I thank you, Father, that you have an agenda And Father, I pray that your agenda would be completed here this morning, God. Not our agenda or my agenda, God, but I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would come and you would speak directly to our hearts, Lord, that you would change us and mold us and shape us uh, into your image, God. God, you're the creator, we are just the created So, Lord, we want to obey you. We want to be obedient to you, God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would receive your word, Lord, and we would be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to continue our our relationship series. And uh, so when I was asked to to preach this week... uh, Todd said, We're preach on relationships. And I said, do you have anything more specific? And he said, preach on relationships. I said, okay. So, to be led by the Holy Spirit. So this morning, uh, what I feel God wants me to talk about this morning is our husband and wife relationships. And so, uh, I just want to, I'm going to read from Genesis. You don't have to turn there because it's a pretty common passage. But Genesis chapter 2 uh, in verse 18, it says this, it says, Then the Lord said, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would call them. And man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And in Matthew chapter 19, it says that no man would separate. So we see here that God saw he, he created man, and he saw that man couldn't do things by himself. As an individual, man 
needed something. He was deficient. He didn't have everything he needed. This is what this means. He, he didn't have everything he needed. And so because it got, God saw that the man didn't have everything that he needed, he created the woman to be a helpmate so that they, when they would join together, they would complete the work that God had called man to. But because they were united, he called them to it. Right? And so uh, what I want to say this morning is that because God intended for it to be like this in the very beginning, that man wouldn't have his work and woman wouldn't have her work, but that they were supposed to be united together, that you can't, even if you guys are both believing God, I'm believing God, she's believing God. Even if you guys are both believing God, unless you are united together in one purpose and on the same page, you cannot complete the fullness of the plan that God has for you and your spouse. I can't say to myself, you know, I'm talking about a believer relationship right here. I can't say to myself, well, it doesn't really matter what she's di- she does. I feel like this is where we need to be. This is what God's calling me to. And whatever she does, you know, there has to be unity there. You can't say that. You can't just think, well, I'll complete the work that God has called me to if you're married without your spouse. There has to be a unity there. You have to be united. You have to be one. God's creating you guys to be molded together so that when I look at you, you ever do one of those like face, you know, you take two faces and put them together and they look, you know, but you find out what your baby's going to look like, right? <laughs> That's how God sees your relationship, okay? When, she t- when God takes my face and Alyssa's face and molds them together, this is unity, right? They look the same. My features blend with her features. They look the same, right? So, for you to complete the plan that God has for you, you have to be one, okay? And hear this. You can complete some plans on your own. As you walk along, if you're following God, you're pursuing God, you will complete some things. But to, to go the farthest you can go, to go the whole way to where God wants you to, there has to be unity. And so, why wouldn't this be where the enemy wants to hinder us? Because the scripture also talks about, you know, if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There's, there's, my potential is exponentially multiplied when I have Alyssa standing beside me. Exponentially multiplied. My potential goes far beyond. And so, the enemy comes and he wants to destroy that. And so, this morning... Uh, I'm going to share part of our testimony that I, I don't ever share because I don't, it's not comfortable for me and I don't enjoy sharing it, but I think it's pertinent, okay? I think it's pertinent. And I also want to preface it with this. I never, ever, ever, and neither should you, ever share anything about your spouse, about their sin, or be negative towards them, unless your spouse goes, yeah, you should share that. Right? Because I'm not about exposing my spouse. That is unrighteousness right there. That's what that is. I cover her. Actually, in the Word, it talks about uh, we are a representation of the bride of Christ. 
And you know what God does? God comes, and because of our shamefulness, our nakedness, He covers us, right? And so I cover my spouse. But because we agree together that it's powerful testimony, I'm going to share this. So uh, me and Alyssa, we met when we were, uh, I would have been 19, Alyssa would have been 17, and we had just recently got saved, and God had done an amazing transformation in our life. Amazing. Uh, and as this, like, we had, we had just got out of a transformation, like, God had just began transforming our lives, and God drops this bombshell, like, you guys are supposed to get married, and we knew we were supposed to get married, because God told us that. He told us, we knew, 100%, this is what we were supposed to do. And so, as we were being transformed, this happens, and so I knew that I was supposed to marry Alyssa, Alyssa knew she was supposed to marry me, but we're working through our past sins, and our sin in general, Right? And so, uh, I remember one day, she came to me uh, because she felt convicted, and she wanted to share this, and she said, uh, uh, she sort of exposed her, her past, and uh, that included uh, her being in a couple uh, unrighteous relationships that uh, stole her sexual purity, and that was very difficult for me, uh, because here's what I expected in a wife. I expected someone that would have only loved me. Right? I, I didn't expect there to be sin there. And so my expectation was up here, and when that was told to me, I was like, my expectation was, had been lost. And that was a painful experience for me. And so because that happened, uh, through a series of events, I mean, I, I actually... I dumped her for a week. Stupid. Because God had told us that we were supposed to be together. Matter of fact, do you know this? Alyssa was the woman out of the whole earth that God created just for me. And I am the man out of the whole earth that God created for her. But I wanted to forfeit, forfeit that because the expectation that I had was that she wouldn't have sin. Right? And how, how stupid of me was that? It was stupid. And my expectation was up here. Do you want to know about my sin? Because that's the more important part. My sin's the more important part. My expectation was up here for her, but you know what I had been tied up in? I had been in... Uh, Addicted to pornography since the time I was about 13 years old, right? That's not lust. Mm, that's not the same sin. I had lusted over pretty much every woman that I saw for the first, you know, after puberty on, right? And so, you know, in, in Scripture, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, matter of fact, uh, I'm going to just turn there because I, I want to read it because it's important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And you can go to Matthew and just hang out there because I have a lot of scriptures for Matthew today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says this, Have you heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery? But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye... Even your good eye causes you to lust. Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
my expectation for her sin was up here and she failed to meet my expectation, I was stuck in the same sin. It didn't matter. I had the same exact sin. But my expectation, because my expectation was up here and she had failed to meet my expectation, I was broken inside and I said, ooh, I don't know if I can go on with this. It just doesn't meet. It, I don't know if it's going to fit me. And so here's what I did. I added on more stupidity. Okay? Right? Because, because what she was doing was she was... Because she had been delivered. She had been delivered. She had cut those... You know, talked about last week about soul ties. She had cut those soul ties off. She was so free. It was ridiculous. Matter of fact, we talk about all the time how, you know, out of the situations that she has come out of, she should not be the woman she is today. But she is. God had supernaturally delivered her. And as a matter of fact, you know, Rich runs breaking, uh, or uh, the FW, the, groom, the groups here, you know what I'm talking about, the groups here. <laughs> the acronym groups. Sorry, I'm sorry. Because when my men struggle with that, they need walked out of that. They need walked out of it. It's not something that happens overnight. But I want to tell you something. When I got saved, that was broken in me. I didn't walk through those groups, but I'm free. That doesn't mean that I have never been tempted or never went, you know, fallen, failed again, but I have never been ensnared in it again. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? There's a difference there. I, so that supernaturally, that was broken in me. And the soul ties were broken in her. And we were free people. We had freedom. We had been made new. But I didn't see it. And so what I did was this. What I did was I sowed seeds. And here's what I sowed. I sowed unforgiveness. Because I thought to myself, she apparently doesn't feel bad enough for this because this is how bad I feel. And I think she should feel this bad, but she'd already been set free. And so I said, you apparently don't feel bad enough so here's what I'm going to do. Even though she was coming to me because she was repentant, she wanted to go, listen, I love you this much. I want to share my deepest sins with you so you know what you're getting into. She was doing it because she loved me. And so I said to myself, I don't think you're sorry enough, so I withheld forgiveness. Oh, stupid. That's what it was. It was stupid. Matthew chapter 7, verse 4 says this. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I had been set free from my sin too. So I didn't think I had any. Right? What I was doing was, I was like this. You know how ridiculous you would look if you had a log in your eye? Right? Envision this. And I'm up here with Bud, and I'm like, let me help and get that. It just doesn't work. The enemy wants... He, did you know something? I, yeah, right? 
the only person you can be responsible for in this whole entire life is you. And that means, in all of Scripture, you are the one responsible for acting appropriately in every situation. And you, matter of fact, you can't even make an excuse and say, well, sin that made me do it. Because we know that we're no longer a slave to sin. And if I'm no longer a slave to sin, well, that means I no longer have to be obedient to sin's commands. Before I was saved, I was a slave to sin, which meant that I could not escape it. I had no freedom to choose. But what Christ did on the cross was gave me the choice whether I was going to choose sin or whether I was going to choose righteousness. That was the choice that was made. And so now that I'm saved, I have the option to choose this or this. Sometimes we feel like, well, I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human. Yes, you are. And you have the option to do this or you have the option to do this if you're saved. doesn't matter if you're a human or not. We still have the option. Well, my, my flesh just made me do it. No, it didn't. You had the option to do this or you had the option to do this. Your flesh didn't make you do anything. You made you do it. You chose it. Because we're free from that. That's what Christ did for us. He freed us. So I have the option to choose righteousness. So I chose the wrong option. I chose, because all I could see, I was blinded by her sin. I could, all I could see was, this is the problem. And I withheld forgiveness. And why this is a problem in marriages and relationships is this. What I did was I began to sow seeds. And when I sowed that seed, I didn't realize what I would reap. Ouch. I was not prepared for the next five years of my life. I was not prepared for it. Because I didn't realize what I would reap because of that. Because if, let me give you a scenario. If I would have went in there and I would have said, you know, I love you. I know that you've been set free. That you're new, that you're, you've been purified and made, God has done that for you. And I forgive you. I would, that's the seed I was sowed and I would reap that. Because she, she already knew my sin. So she would have said, yeah, I forgive you too. And we could have walked. Right? Just would have been, boom, we're done. But because I sowed that seed, here's what I reaped. She became very insecure with my past sins, and she could no longer forgive me and withheld forgiveness from me. And so, man, did that make things hard. Because there's, there's a wedge now in between what God had intended to join together was now because of man, this one, had started to become separated. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Right after Corinthians... Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says this. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock justice of God. You will always 
harvest what you plant. For those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature with, decay, with harvest, decay, and death from sinful nature. I read that wrong. I'm sorry. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what, of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. You can't mock God's justice. I had sowed the seed. And so I had to be prepared to reap the seed. There's another parable in Matthew chapter 13, and it says that uh, it's a story. And it says this, it says there's a man, and he goes and he plants his field. And uh, during the night, the enemy comes in. and he, The man plants his field with good seed, but the enemy comes in and he plants weeds as the, good man, as the man sleeps. And when the man wakes up and they, the, the sprouts come up, his servants come to him and he, he said, listen, somebody, an enemy must have come and plant weeds. And so, what should we do? And the man says, listen, you can't pull the weeds up now, so we'll just let them all grow together, and at the end, we'll harvest it, and we'll just burn the weeds, and we'll keep the wheat. And uh, I think this is talking, I'm not using it in the same aspect that Christ is talking about, but I think it applies here. And I want to say this. During that time, we didn't just plant bad seed. We planted good seed too. There was some good seed that was planted. And so what God did was this. Because he can't just come in and just pull up that bad seed. When it starts to sprout, you gotta, unfortunately, you've got to let it go. And so because I, wasn't, I didn't realize that, I would pray God. Because it took, I'm, I'm not joking, it took probably, uh, it took a couple years for us to get over this. And for, for me to finally be like, I'm so sorry. And it took a lot longer for Alyssa to be able to come back and say she was sorry and she forgives me. Because I had wounded her hard. And so it may have taken that long for, you know, that was probably years later. And on top of that, it took years for us to stop sowing or reaping those seeds. So what happened was this. We planted good seed and bad seed. God came in and he said, listen, I can't pull it up. Even after we repented, we couldn't pull the, seed, we couldn't pull the weeds up yet. Because there was good seed and there was bad seed mixed together. And so we had to wait to reap it all. And so during the next five years of our life, we reaped both. But we could have reaped just one. And I'd have preferred that. And so finally, we're, we're at the end of that season. It's been harvested and it's good now. That's the only reason I can share it as a testimony for it to be powerful, right? And so, we had to wait. We had to wait and reap 
which is unfortunate. Because I didn't I wasn't prepared. So what I want to ask the question of is how's this look for you? Listen, you might not be in the same situation, not, might not have had the same situation, but has your spouse fulfilled all your expectations? Everybody's looking very serious and solemn right now. Has your spouse fulfilled all your expectations? Or have they missed some and you've been disappointed? Have you withheld forgiveness? Have you thought to yourself, well, maybe they're not sorry enough yet? Bull crap. You don't realize the seed you're planting. The scripture says this. In John, chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And this is how, right here, this is how. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life, lay down one's life for one's friends. We can stop right there. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that my wife is my closest friend. In this world, she is my closest friend. And so, how should I love my wife? Scripture says that I should love my wife like Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do? Christ came and he died for us, for me. And so if that is the greatest expression of love for my wife, then how is this marriage picture supposed to look? How does it work? I don't know your situation exactly, or at all, doesn't matter, I can tell you that this is what a marriage should look like. I'm going to give you easy marriage counseling advice. Simple. Right? Simple. The marriage counseling advice I'm going to give you is, you know what you have to do to make your relationship work like it's supposed to? Ready for it? Ready for it? You have to die. And you know what that means? That means you have to stay dead. Because we want to get back up again. See, here's what we think. We think, okay, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to die to myself. Because we haven't, you know, I'm just going to talk from a man's perspective here. We haven't, we haven't been receiving what we want from our wife here, okay? I have not been receiving what I want from my wife. I'm not reaping what I want from my wife, so I'm going to die. That way we can, we're just going to start over. This is going to be us starting right here. I'm going to die. I know what she likes. She would love if I would bring her breakfast in bed. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I am going to make her breakfast. I'm going to take it up to her, and I'm going to set it down, 
We're gonna, this is going to, and she's going to start, okay, this is going to be great. So I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, right? I get up early, and I think to myself, I'm going to make her breakfast in bed. So I make her breakfast in bed, and I take it up, and I set it in front of her, and she sits up, and she eats it, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to receive now. <laughs> right? I mean, everybody's laughing, but have you done that? Have you done that? That's why we can all laugh about it, because it's stupid, right? It's stupid. But we've done it. I have done it. Matter of fact, during that time, that was what was hard. Because I had to stay dead for it to work. I couldn't come back to life after I had made one sacrifice. That's not dying. That's trying to get what you want. I had to stay dead. And how, but how do we do that? You think that is so hard to stay dead. And I think the answer is in Hebrews chapter 12. I know we're flipping all over the place here, but I, Scripture is so important. Listen, this is, this is the truth. Right here. I've experienced it, but I see it in here. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Right here's the key. Right here's the key. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus had his eyes fixed on the prize. On eternity. When I take my wife breakfast in bed, I'm thinking of the next hour. I'm not thinking of eternity. And so when I place this expectation that I'm going to die for the long haul for my husband, or I'm going to die for the long haul for my wife, I have to think of the reward that I'm going to reap in eternity. Not the reward I'm going to reap tomorrow or the next month or in a year from now. I have to think of the reward I'm reaping in eternity. He was thinking of the reward. It was you he was thinking of. That's 2,000 years later. He was thinking of you. You were the reward. And so I have to take my eyes off of what I'm seeing now and feeling now and get unattached from my emotions which are unredeemed and my physical body which is unredeemed and fix my eyes on Christ, the champion of my faith. I have to fix my eyes on the eternal reward to be able to complete that, to be able to die. Because it's, it's hard to die. It's hard. It's difficult. But if you want to fulfill everything that Christ has for you in this life with your spouse, the one who you were made to be with, you have to die. You can't live. Because if you live, the dream will die. 
The tra- you, you won't make it. Let's think of it like this. I give you a treasure map, okay? I give you a treasure map, and you're starting at point A right here, and there is point B, C, and D. And let's say this. Let's say I give you a compass to get you there, and the compass doesn't work. You can't make it there, right? Or if I give you a map that's wrong, you can't make it there, right? So we have to, have, God wants our bearings to be right. He gives us the compass that works, okay? And shorthand is die, right here. I read it. Some summary, die, okay? Christ did it for me, I have to do it for my wife. Or I have to do it for my husband. But let's think of it even like, like this, I think is even better. Okay, I have a treasure map. And I have point A, point B, and point C. And the key's there. I know how to get there, okay? I have the correct compass to make it there. And this is an easy one. The treasure map tells me where the treasure is. It's at point A. But I go to point B to dig and find it. Will I ever find the treasure? Or I think maybe point C would be better. And I shake my magic eight ball. Point C, point C, point C. Point C, let's go. And I dig at point C. Will I ever find the treasure? No. I have to dig at the specific point that the treasure map tells me to dig. Why do I say that? Because we want to die on the wrong hill. Okay? I think to myself, well, I can die on this hill over here because I want what I want. So this hill of selfishness, this is the hill I'm going to die on. You're not going to get what you want there. You know what you're going to produce? You're planting bad seed and you're going to reap bad seed. That's what's going to happen on that hill. Or ultimately, I'm going to die on hill number B. You know what it is? Pride, because that's pretty much encompasses all that, right? I'm going to die on that hill. You know what you're doing? You're planting bad seed. You know what you're going to reap? Bad seed. Bad fruit. You're not going to like that. See, this is why we have to think of eternity. Because those two hills, mm, they're easy to die on. I've died on them. They're easy to die on. We can't die there. See, let's look at Christ's life. Let's think about this for a second. Christ knew, as far as geographic location, what hill he was going to die on. You know how I know that? Because at the end of his life, he made an intentional journey to Jerusalem so that he could die on a specific hill. Because he, Listen, they... They wanted to push him off a cliff. And he, he blinded them and walked right through him. He could have died on that hill. He'd have still been the perfect lamb. He still would have died. But it wasn't the hill that was intended for him to die on. 
the geographic location, Christ knew exactly what hill he was going to die on. So he made his way to Jerusalem, and he was intentionable about dying on the hill, Golgotha. He was going to die right there. He was intentional about that. And because he was intentional about that, he died at the proper time. He witnessed to the proper people. He was the perfect and proper sacrifice. Which tells me that I have to die on the right hill. So I have to have the eternal prize in mind. I have to fix my eyes on the reward that's not tomorrow, that's not next month, that's not next year, in its eternity. That's where I have to die. My pride has to die. I have to lay my life down of what I want, and I have to sacrifice my life for my closest friend. And I can promise you, if you live a life like this, if your marriage looks like this, there will not be one seed that you sow that you regret. Because I'm telling you now that once we repented to each other, I was so stupid. And let me tell you this, I didn't do it one time. I had to do it many times. Because I had had warred with it. So I had to go back. I repent, I'm sorry. She did the same for me. You know what we're reaping now? We're reaping those seeds. Our marriage is so good. It's so good. Right? Because when you die, when you sow those kinds of seeds, you reap an amazing harvest. Those painful memories are nothing but memories now. I don't ever want to go back there. But the temptation is to stop dying. Because I have free will and I can choose to stop doing that. And so there's always, throughout my whole entire life, up until this point and continuing on, I have the option of whether I'm going to do that or not. And so do you, this is the key to marriage relationship. Die so that you can produce good fruit. And what happens when you produce good fruit is you can begin to minister to other people. People see your life and they go, man, I wish my marriage looked like that. Right? Because you're craving that. I want it. I want that. And then you can say to those people, you know what you have to do? <laughs> right? You know what you've got to do to have this? You have to die. And you can walk them through that because it's a process. Because during that time, the first, but during those first five years, it was even more difficult. You know, sometimes it's easier to die than others. Now that we've died so much, it's not as hard to stay dead. On some things, it's still hard to die on, but it's not as hard to stay dead anymore. Because we've done it. We've made it a habit of staying dead. And so, that's the advice I have for you today. It's not even just advice, it's the truth. It's how, it's, it how, it's how the kingdom works. We sow, we reap, and there's only one good seed to reap, or to sow, but we can reap a good harvest. And so, I guess we'll invite the, wor- we'll invite the worship team up here, and uh, if you want prayer, 
this morning, we would love to pray with you. But did you know, more importantly than me or any part of our leadership praying with you, is this. If you haven't repented yet to your spouse, it's more important that you go to them and you say, listen, I'm, I've been wrong. I haven't died. Because I can only pray for the situation. God's power can move. You know what He's going to do? He's going to convict you so you go to them and you repent. Right? Because that's what needs to happen. Unfortunately, that's just that's the cold hard facts. And so, we'll pray for you. We would love to pray for you. You know, this is not just marriage. This is, this is just life. We have to die. We'll pray for you. But more importantly... God's convicting you, repent. Because I here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want you to sow good seed. Because I can't even begin to explain to you the joy that I have now from sowing good seed. So, what hill will you die on? What hill are you willing to die on? And let's begin to think of eternity. Let's begin to think of before we die on that hill, let's think what the reward or the anti-reward we will get from the hill we're dying on. Amen? Amen. God, I thank You that You came because You were fixed on an eternal reward, Lord. And Lord, also, the reward that you saw was me. I thank you that you loved me enough, Lord, that you cared for me and desired to bring me back. And so you were willing to follow through with dying, for laying down your life, Lord. And God, this morning, I pray more than anything else, God, that we would do the same, Lord, that we would follow your example and we would die to ourselves, Lord. For the sake of unity in our marriages, for the sake of unity in the body of Christ, for the sake of reaping good fruit. God, we would die. Lord, let us be more concerned about valuable things than things that don't matter. Even when they seem big in our eyes, Lord, uh, sometimes they can seem so huge. Sins can seem so huge. What matters seems so big, Lord. Let us see past all of that because it's only a temporary thing, Lord. The pain is only temporary, but joy, Lord, is the joy that we will reap for eternity when we lay down our lives, not only for uh, our friends and our spouses, Lord, but for you. When we lay down our lives, God, we get to reap an eternal fruit, Lord, an eternal blessing. So let us fix our eyes on eternity. Let us not be consumed by the moment. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.